Hey there, Bannock folks. You're tuning in to another episode of Bannockdotes, a podcast that holds it down for the underground sound here in Ontario, Canada. And I'm your host, Phil Paxton. Thank you for joining me today. We got a good one for you. But I need you to do something for me real quick before we get started. Smash that subscribe button right down below. You know, just destroy that like button on this on this video, and uh, do me a favor. Leave a comment down below. You know, do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think of the show? Do you tell me your thoughts? I'm open to any sort of ideas or criticism you have because hey, this is all about. The music scene, you know, the Ontario music scene, and uh, that's a lot of people are involved. So it's not just me calling the shots here. This is kind of everybody's show. This is Banecdotes. Now, if you're new to the show, this is what we do. We bring people on to the show, whether they're promoters, you know, musicians themselves, photographers, and get them to tell some of the funniest stories they have from working with bands and being in band culture. Uh, also, getting them to plug whatever they've got going on uh, currently on the show and everybody is happy about it all right folks let's get into some of the shows that are happening around ontario we got local ontario shows happening in the month of june and we got lots of friggin cool stuff happening all right starting tomorrow june 9th comeback kid are doing a small run of shows they're starting off in st Catharines with a banecdotes and indoor shoes show that we're putting on together our friends in reality tonight are playing that Dear God, Wild Side, that's going to be such a good time. Uh, and then the following day, June 10th, they're in Mel Eldon at the Community Center. Uh, June 11th, they're at Tide Down Fest in Detroit. And June 12th, at the Rec Room in Buffalo. Wednesday, June 15th, in Kitchener, at the Study Room, aka Ask a Punk, we have Massanera, Terry Green, and Basque. Constrain and our friends in Reality Tonight are doing a couple shows together. June 16th, they're at the Milton Legion. June 17th, they're at Doors Pub in Hamilton. And June 18th, they're at Vos Drovi in Toronto. Thursday, June 16th in St. Catharines, we have the Mayside celebrating their release of their new beer, Good Old Hayes IPA, with the Royal North, and that's just at Warehouse. Sunday, June 19th in Windsor, Hexis, Hell is Other People, and Nathirith are playing at the backstage. Trauma Model and Hexus are doing a couple shows together. That's our friends in Trauma Model. And Hexus are coming all the way from Copenhagen in Denmark. So that's a hell of a long journey. So we're super stoked that they're playing uh, our small area of uh, Ontario. But they're doing a couple shows together and we're putting one on. That's right. Anecdotes presents Hexus, Kothra, Trauma Model, Temple of Night, and Deciphering the Pale at warehouse here in st Catharines. get your tickets at warehouseniagara.com for that june 22nd in kingston they're at the overtime june 23rd in ottawa at the dominion tavern and june 25th in montreal at piranha bar tuesday june 21st in ottawa at the brass monkey we have suffocation atheist surreptition entrail and gland Thursday, June 23rd in Toronto at the Hard Luck. We have Dayglow Abortions Hate Speech album release with Citizen Rage, Dragged In, and Losers. In Hamilton that night, however, at Doors Pub, we have Cognitive, Tombstoner, Liquidator, and 
World's Grasp. Friday, June 24th in Windsor at the backstage, we have Cognitive, Tombstoner, and Vile Driver. But if you're in Toronto that night, Fuzzed and Buzz presents a special night with Mouth Congress, Leather Uppers, Astral With Witch, and Low Orbit, and that's at the Bovine. Saturday, June 25th in Niagara Falls at the Upper States, uh, Upper Space, we have Fight War, Not Wars, the Red Cross Benefit Show with Well and Wasted, Border City Beatdown, Dominion, Elephant, and Sin. In Ottawa that night, at House of Targ, we have They Grieve, Cothra, Moratorium, and Grandmother. But in London that night, at Richmond Tavern, we have Single Mothers, Mall Crimes, and Strawberry Cough. Weedus and Kixie are doing a couple shows together June 24th at the Bentmore Theatre in Oshawa, June 25th at the Legion in Tilsonburg, and June 26th at the Casbah in Hamilton. And a couple months from now, we like to plug this every episode, we have Hold Your Ground Fest, and that's September 9th and 10th in Mississauga at the Hansa House. Damage Control and Soulless Music Promotions are presenting that. That's with Neverending Game, Mind Force, Pain of Truth, Dare, Momentum, Gridiron, Cohesion, Cold Shoulder, Endgame, and Mile End. Many more bands. Get your tickets at holdyourgroundfest.com. Lots of cool stuff happening in Ontario. Lots of shows happening in Ontario. So if there's something that you heard that's in your area, go out. Go out and support. We need we want to see your face. It's been a it's been a while. Some of us are playing some of our first shows in, in two years and uh it's kind of surreal. So yeah. Love uh, and, and the people that are going at the shows, I love your support. Keep that up. We love that energy. All right, let's get on about my guest this week. We have Pat Murphy. Now, this dude's a legend. Uh, he helped shape uh, and mold the Niagara music scene to what it is today. He, you know, had a front seat to see Alexis on Fire do their thing, and he put on so many cool shows in in Niagara uh, at L three, mostly primarily. Uh, but he's done just so much for bands. He plays in bands. Uh, he's he's currently in Toronto. He's doing lots for his career. Uh, you know, he started a, a label and he's managing artists, doing lots of cool things. And it's cool to know that it all started from the small town of St. Catharines and the just the, the humble Niagara music scene. And and it's just I love to see it. And you know what? I hadn't seen the guy in like ten years. Uh, and we we sat down, and he was just so insightful. He's been in this industry for quite some time, and uh, this was one where I just kind of had to sit back and let just listen because uh, uh, he was just you know certainly so wise. All right, you know what? Let's just get right into this. Enough of me yapping away. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Right on, folks. Welcome back to an uh, episode of Banecdotes. I'm your host, Phil Paxton. The t-shirt of the week is D-Boy. Definitely go check those folks out. And my guest this week is Pat Murphy. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, bro. How have you been? How's your day been? It's been good. Um, I I was just saying before we started filming that it's my mom's 60th birthday today. Nice. um, I was in town, you know, doing a little winery uh lunch with some fam and um you know we were 
my wife and I came in last night. We were in Welland for a friend of mine's kind of like wedding celebration as cool. well. So it's been a lot of like, you know, family and like seeing old old homies and um, kind of like really uh, indulging in Niagara, so to speak. That's cool. So, yeah. And then here we are. I know. Yeah. That's cool. great. Yeah. Now I don't care. I couldn't even tell you the last time I've seen you in person. Probably yeah. back in the heydays of the Niagara music yeah. scene, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, and uh, if you want to tell the audience a little bit uh, about yourself, uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously my name is my name is Pat Murphy. For what you said, um, I I grew up in St. Catharines. Was born in St. Catharines. I started um, promoting concerts and going to shows and just becoming a fan of the music scene at a pretty young age, like sixteen, um, fifteen, sixteen, and at that time. Um, you know, I was just like really into like music, generally speaking. Like I just, I just loved discovering new artists, whatever. And so I started going to shows, and I was really blessed because this other dude, Joel Carrier, was a big promoter in the city, and um, he was doing like really, really cool shit with Lux on Fire and City in Color. And quickly, kind of got to work with him and kind of immersed myself in the music scene, and you know, kept promoting concerts kind of independently and booking tours and growing with the music and. Um, it's kind of led in this passion that I had kind of turned into a career basically. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's, um, you know, right now I, I exist as a, you know, artist manager and I have a, a record label with a business partner of mine, but you know, for the better half of my life, I've been a concert promoter That's or, right. or a talent buyer or some version of that. You yeah. Know? Like I've worked in live music for over half my life. So you're not event planning anymore? Not directly. No. Right. So, you know, nowadays, um, it's, it's, primarily artist management and right. again uh, I have a record label um, that's kind of independent where we've been kind of using that to incubate talent and kind of find new artists and build them up I I mean I don't know in terms of your list of questions like you know kind of uh, how how deep you want me to go into the promoter game but um, you know I I, I really um, I feel like I, I, I carved out like a pretty good lane in St. Catharines when I was here and, mm -hmm. and you know, worked with Scene Music Festival, um, and, you know, I was booking probably, you know, in Niagara, I, I don't know, maybe maybe six to eight shows a month on wow. average, you know, like when I, when we were doing shows at L3 and kind of, you know, around the region. Yeah. And I did that for so long that I ended up getting offered a job in Toronto in 2010, moved to Toronto, worked for this company called Union Events, which was uh, Live Nation's competitor. So we were like the number one independent concert promoter in Canada. Cool. And that was really cool because it was like, okay, like this thing that you built on your own and you've kind of gotten to this point, now you have an opportunity to work with this bigger company, get more resources. So then I kind of pivoted from like doing every aspect of being a promoter, meaning like like back in the day I was printing the flyers, dropping off the tickets, like, you know, making them MySpace. The hustle. Yeah, I was doing everything. Basically I got to the point where it was like, okay, now you're just responsible for booking the shows and then we have departments that can kind of uh, work with you to promote them and coordinate this stuff and, and you know, production manage. So when I was working in Toronto for Union Events, I was booking about 150 shows a year wow. across Canada. Uh, you know, Montreal, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Vancouver, you know, all, all of that. And um, we worked on Riot Fest as well and a few other bigger festivals. But um, it was about 2016 where I was like, I mean, I've been doing it for, you know, 12 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And when I started booking concerts, it was just like, I want to see this band play with this band. Like that was really like my impetus. It was just like it was more like, hey, like I want to, I want to participate in this community, and it was never like I need to make money at this or this needs to be my career. And in fact, like 
you know, I didn't even think that was possible really when right. I started doing it. It was nice to make a little bit of extra money here and there, but then, you know, as someone, as any promoter will tell you, like you're gonna lose money soon. Like even if you, even if you're on a roll and you're like doing good, like eventually you're gonna get hit. So after doing that for a long time and working kind of at a scale that became really national and sorry, I'm just gonna put my phone on do not disturb. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, working on that kind of bigger level, I started looking at the like, like the hierarchy of the music industry mm -hmm. and realizing that like promoters don't have it super easy. They have to like bankroll these entire tours. They have to front up so much cash and it's really kind of calculated gambling. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, um, looking around this room, there's all these different posters and you know, I, I say bring me the horizon poster and I was fortunate enough to book them in St. Catharines yeah. when suicide season came out, that show made money and the band was growing and blowing up and promoters probably made money off them for a few years. But then there was a point where Bring Me the Horizon kind of dipped, if you remember, where it was like they were changing sounds. Yeah. It wasn't like they weren't necessarily accepted by the same community that kind of initially launched them. They weren't really deathcore anymore. Right. And a, a lot of promoters lost money in that era. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to kind of know like how the market's going to shift and like what the next trend's going to be. And even though I felt like I was good enough at it that I would get it right more often than not, the times they get it wrong, like you get it wrong, it would be really tough because it was like you know oh i booked this show six months from now and it's just like not selling tickets and yeah no matter how hard we promote it it's not moving people just don't care about that artist anymore and so i realized like okay even when i look up to the like the, the biggest promoter in the country and i think at the time i was like i was definitely one of the more active talent buyers like i was in the conversation about or, or you know about people that can actually book national tours and do big shit mm -hmm. and it was like man, they're still struggling with the same things. They're still getting into bidding wars. They're still losing money. They're still booking festivals. Some of these festivals are losing millions of dollars. That's not the future I want to have. I want to, I, want, I love discovering artists. I love working with new, new artists and, and kind of developing talent. And I was already managing artists and booking stuff, but it was just more of like a side hustle. Yeah. I ended up being like, okay, well, what if I do that full time? Like, what if I, what if I take the, like all my resources and go right into this lane? And so then, around 2016 I ended up meeting this dude Andrew Kennedy who I work with now still to this day and he was a little bit more experienced in the artist management side and I think we had kind of complementary skill sets and we really kind of hit it off from a you know philosophical you know artist development business development side of things and yeah we linked up he gave me an opportunity to come work with him leave promoting and then we've been kind of building this business since um, right so yeah that was kind of um you know how I got out of event planning and you know we still like have a hand in that stuff being artist managers like whether it's a CD release party or coordinating a tour and like working with the promoters but I'm not the person like putting the offers together and right. making the venues really anymore which is it's kind of cool yeah yeah it's, it's like you know take the backseat yeah I did it for long enough that I felt like man it's like there's this expression it's like um you know when like a dog's chasing a car and it's like chasing this car, chasing the car, and then it catches the car, and then it's like, wait a second, like now what? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. And I felt like I kind of caught the car as a promoter, and I was like, wait, what am I even doing here anymore? Like, mm -hmm. Is this really what I want to keep doing for the rest of my life? And then when I started to reflect, I was like, no, I need to pivot. Like now's the time. And yeah, it's been fun. New challenges, of course, but like definitely um, where I want to be. You know? Yeah, right now, for sure. And so the record label, what's 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 the name? Okay, so. I can give you kind of some backstory on that if you'd like cool. and kind of how that came together um, to kind of contextualize it. So um, 
in 2016, like I like, and I left as an artist manager, and we had a few clients that had done, you know, major record label deals, and you know, some of them were successful, some of them weren't, um, and what I kind of realized with one of the artists in particular is that I feel like we signed too early. Like it was an artist that had never, um, never released a song, never played a show yet, and we ended up getting them this major label record deal that was, you know, a, a life-changing opportunity for them. Yeah. And so they wanted to do it, and we were excited to do it too. Like we, we were like the people involved, and we're like, all right, let's do it. And kind of after kind of getting into the weeds of that and getting a couple of years into that and having some successes and taking some, some L's as well on the project, I kind of realized like, man, if you, if you get into that major label machine, if you, if you go to that kind of, you know, level of the industry mm -hmm. and you don't have a strong foundation when like a gust of wind blows, the whole thing can crumble. Well, and, yeah. And one thing that I really appreciated kind of growing up in, in the Niagara music scene and watching someone like Joel Carrier kind of build, you know, his artists, specifically like Alexa on Fire was something I got a front row seat to. It was like, it was like the definition of building a foundation. It was like touring, you know, big and small cities, paying your dues, you know, making your money off of your merchandise and packing out shows and creating this almost like cult following. Yep. So then by the time, you know, that band particularly got to the point where they were on the radio and much <coughs> music, it was more of like a tipping point moment that pushed them over the edge into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. They kind of transcended the underground. But if you like skip that step and you try to go like right to the mainstream, it's really hard to stick and feel secure there because there's nothing really to fall back on right. if the industry changes or if the radio single flops or whatever. So that was kind of something that we really started to think about and you know, we, we decided to build a label and Initially, we went to Sony Music Canada, and we did a deal with them, um, and then it was like a distributed label agreement, so like we kind of had more or less like an imprint under, under Sony Music, and um, they eventually kind of changed that part of their business into this company that's now called The Orchard. So we're working with The Orchard, and you know, developing certain artists, um, and at the time, like our management company is called Care of Management. We just called it Care of Label Services. Like it wasn't trying to be some flashy. Sure. Death Row Records or yeah. Factory Records or yeah. anything. It was more just like, let's add this service on for management clients. And as it started to grow, we ended up kind of unlocking some things with grant funding and Factor and started to have some success. And we were like, okay, this is kind of cool. Let's kind of build it out. And then we ended up um, you know, getting through that deal with Sony. We did a new deal with Universal Music Canada through their distributed label setup. But we also partner with different companies in the U.S., a bunch of different distribution services, um, a whole whack of them. Like there's a company called AWOL, there's one called Foundation, there's United Masters, there's STEM. It really depends on what the artist, like who the artist is and mm -hmm. what's kind of best for them. We kind of create like a holistic plan and, and really kind of, um, you know, keep it malleable and try to keep optionality. And now we're at the point where the label feels very real to us now. It doesn't feel just like a service arm of our, our right. management company. So we're actually next month, you know, unveiling the branding, unveiling the website, but the label's called Partners. Cool. Um, you know, and the whole ethos of that is that these are, you know, not, not as much like, hey, you're signing this deal, we got you for life. More it's like strategic partnership. Yeah. Like we'll be, you know, we'll be a resource for you we'll sign you to short-term deals. They'll be artist friendly. 
um, and we'll, we'll treat this like we're, we're your partners in terms of distribution and, and label infrastructure and um, yeah that, that part's been really exciting it's like it's it's fun I, I always and I had a label before called Alternative Empire I don't know if you maybe remember this at all I, I'm not sure but I worked with like this band called the Juliets, who were Cardinals before that, and in Niagara, um, we had a band called Crystalline. It was like a yeah. you know, a pop. Um, yeah, we had Scotty know. on the show. Oh, tight, yeah. tight. Yeah, so Scotty was in Crystalline. Yeah. So that was on my, my. It was a different business partner, but it was my friend Mike and I. We had this label, and like, again, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we realized that like, you know, the artist needed a little bit more than a tune core. Yeah. You know, and so we're like, all right, we'll to press the CDs and, and my, I was in bands back in the day so mm -hmm. I had experience doing that stuff for ourselves and mm -hmm. it was just like okay like well you know we'll we'll help resource you in these departments and we'll do fair splits and um, you know we'll, we'll, we'll partner where we can and we won't try to be greedy and we'll, we'll, we'll work with people that are gonna add value to the to the overall business strategy of an artist or a band or whatever and it's always been fun because I was like a kid that grew up like you know admiring record labels you know and like yeah. drive through records or victory records or equal vision or you know like Sumerian or interscope or yeah. capital like just like just that kind of um you know like buy a cd read the whole back of the booklet look yep. at that like all that stuff was really exciting to me so to kind of now be in a position where we can sign artists work with them and help them really grow their business um that's really yeah it's, it's been fulfilling for sure cool yeah are you allowed to talk about the artists that you manage I am yeah of yeah. course yeah I just wasn't sure yeah <laughs> no yeah it's just like you know you try to like um, there's like uh, so our manager roster um, you know kind of all, I'll give you kind of like a Coles notes um, we have an artist named Rev her name it's spelled R-E-V-E um, she's signed Universal Music Canada and then we work with uh, Astralworks in the US and this other uh, label in the UK called 3Beat. Astralworks is the team that developed Halsey in the US. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, she's got, we started releasing music uh, 2021 on that project. Um, she's got a handful of singles out and a bunch of remixes, uh, but there's a song called Control Delete that's about to go platinum in Canada. That's um, super cool. That was like, I think it went to like number eight on the Canadian radio. It was in the FIFA soundtrack. As nice. Well. Um, she has another song called Headphones that's kind of going up right now as well. Doing really, really amazing numbers on, on Spotify and Apple Music and streaming in general. Um, so that project is, is really cool and exciting. We have another client named Anders, um, and he's a kind of like hip hop R&B artist from Toronto, um, you know, Asian background. Uh, sonically, it's kind of that like post OVO Toronto weekend kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Really, really incredible voice. He had a before we started working with him. This was something that we started working with in 2020. Um, he had a huge hit with this group, Loud Luxury, the song called Love No More. It got like a billion streams or something nice. like that. And um, so he has like a really, really strong cult following. Does really interesting partnerships with like we just did a deal with Puma. He's going to be like their first Canadian artist ambassador. Super cool. We got a Canadian tour in July. There's a new deal happening with him that's going to kind of put him in a in a really interesting position to kind of continue to, to grow. Um, you know, we have an artist uh, Elko E L K O. He's a kid from um, uh, Bedford, Nova Scotia, that uh, I found through a friend of mine. Didn't really have much happening online. But a really amazing sound, kind of sonically. It's like somewhere between like the Cure and Panic at the Disco. Cool. But like with a little bit of like hip hop, like trap drums, kind of back 
backdrop to it. Interesting. They'll peep maybe a little bit in there okay. too. And uh, love the kid's voice. And, you know, we started working together kind of basically from like day one on that project and started building it. And now I think it's gone to like 15 million streams. He's doing some tour dates in, in the U.S. with Max Bemis from Say Anything. Um, he's opening up for Grandson um, at the CNE end of August. Like some really cool stuff on that project. Um, we have some U.S. clients as well. We have this uh, this kid, YSB Trill, from North Carolina. Um, he did a deal with Interscope and listened to the kids. He had a song on Madden, actually, as well. Nice. Another dude named Tobe Duke, who's from Detroit, um, and he has a song called Spaceship that kind of was, like, blowing up online. Um, you know, and there's a couple other artists as well that, that we're developing and working with, and um, it's really, like, a mixed bag. Like, we're pretty genre agnostic, you know? It's like, if we see a lane for something and we connect with that artist as a person and we feel like we can you know help serve them you know as artist managers we're like let's let's do it and and we scaled up a little bit during the pandemic um which was which was cool it was like it was a an opportunity where like i feel like a lot of the music industry was like taking a really big hit Mm -hmm. so i felt really lucky because we just kind of doubled down on like artist discovery and it was like spending time on, you know, TikTok and Spotify and SoundCloud and, you know, finding artists that were really interesting and then simultaneously like finding deals for some of the artists that we had already, you know, been working with. And um, that was really fun because it was like a time where like a lot of people were really stressed out and I, I feel for that because it was some of my friends mm-hmm. and people that I work with really closely and we were able to like actually grow as a business. Um, and That's that, awesome. Yeah, it was it, super lucky for sure. It was like, definitely a weird time for everybody yeah um but it helped it helped us kind of get through it knowing that like hey we got new stuff to work on we've got fresh stuff to work and having the record label was good too because we were like not dependent on live so we were like let's just put on more music let's yeah. just keep growing fans let's just find you know ways for our artists to you know break on tiktok or again soundcloud or spotify like what can we do in this downtime that doesn't involve you know going and playing a live event that's mm-hmm. going to be able to kind of grow the fan base and, and keep people interested or grow interest so that when this stuff does open back up, there's like an audience ready to go serve. And that's kind of what we're, we're in with a bunch of our clients right now. Yeah. Right on. So you mentioned actually just briefly that you, you did play in a band back in the day yeah. in Niagara. You played in For Man of Ghosts. Correct. Was that your first band? No. No. Um, it's funny because like being, um, you know, primarily known as like a promoter or a manager um, like as an as an industry professional, you know, quote unquote. Um, I think uh, uh, people like probably either they didn't know me then or they forget that I like actually was a musician of sorts. Yeah, um, I started writing songs when I was like grade maybe grade five or six. Really? Like, yeah, I um I had like again I was just obsessed with music. It's weird. It was just like you know um, buying Spin magazines, Rolling Stone magazines, and had like a, a teacher that was really into the Beatles in elementary school. Nice. And I was taking guitar lessons, so I just started learning songs and I would basically go home and like, you know, develop some chord pattern and write some lyrics and, you know, they not saying these songs were good. They sounded like collective soul or something. So okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pretty they were pretty like like stock chords <laughs> and like really like kind of vaguely uh, you know, radio rock lyrics. But it was just kind of me exploring and then when I got into high school, um, I had some friends, you know, that I was like meeting in high school that were, um, you know, playing whether whether it was guitar or drums, whatever. And I did play guitar, but um, there was already a guitar player, so I was like, I'll play bass, like, mm-hmm. sure, like whatever. And 
I remember going to like Mike's Music and Thorold and buying like you know some really cheap ass bass or whatever <laughs> and um you know going to uh, my first like jam session with some homies and like you know the, the drummer was good the guitar player was good and I think that like by all means like I'm not a skilled bass player like I will say that like I can follow along you know power chords or whatever but I think I'm like okay at melodies so right. so I was just like riffing melodies to of like on bass to kind of vibe with it and I remember just being like this is really cool you know like this, this feels fun and then we kind of started a band the first band was called um loser takes all um okay. this was like this was like pop punk era like um simple plan newfound glory blink 182 like yeah. we would just like have our our homie's dad go to buffalo to hot topic to buy us like atticus shirts and <laughs> stars and straps and just like try to dress like these dudes um and, and really just be like them and you know i remember we had a song called like skater girl and <laughs> you know just stuff like that and the thing was and, and actually that kind of bringing it back to the live side um that band um we started playing shows locally um, yeah we played at a venue called the hideaway yeah um we played at front 54 in the basement um we played just random ass venues in st Catharines, and um i guess front 54 was in thorold at the time but right we would bring out so so we'd bring out like the band kind of built out of it. There was five of us at a certain point. One dude went to collegiate. One dude, we all went to Dennis Morris High School. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, we were in separate grades and stuff. So we would bring out a lot of people just, just by nature of being high school kids, yep. you know, spread out. And I remember, um, you know, we'd get 20 bucks for a show or whatever. I think the most we ever got to was $40 for a show. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, like, being like, man, we brought, like, 80 people out. Like, <laughs> it, and it wasn't... These weren't expensive tickets, but maybe six to ten dollars, right? Something, right, and I, that's when I started kind of doing the the math and like running the economics of, of what was happening. And right. Going, well, I heard the venue was like one hundred and fifty dollars, and we brought out eighty people, and that's six dollars a head. And you know, this band brought out this many people, and I know they only got paid this much. So this, I'd be like, this promoter just made like six hundred bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I'd be like, wait, why don't we do our own show? So. The first ever show we booked that, that like that I booked was supposed to be my band's show. It was at Red Square, and our band broke up. Like uh, shortly after, there was um, an issue with one of the members, like stolen something and lied about it. Sure, it was like it was it was dramatic and it was like <laughs> it always is. Yeah, and it was it was it was unfortunate um, <laughs> because I you know we had fun. It was yeah. a cool hang and we like play in his garage and stuff. And so I. Uh, I was kind of like, well, like maybe we just maybe I keep the show. And mm -hmm. I had a couple, I had a couple friends that were like down to help, and um, I ended up. I remember this band, Boys Night Out. Yep. I had seen them play, um, like Bedlam Society, Joel Carey's company had booked mm -hmm. them, and another band, The Full Blast, had opened up. And I was, and I really liked The Full Blast, so I was like, well, maybe I can try to book The Full Blast for this, and then. I think this was MySpace era, right? Nice. Like it was. So I had gotten in touch with Full Blast hey, I'll guarantee you, you know, whatever, like 150 bucks or something. Like, it wasn't a lot of money. But at the time, guarantees were kind of hard to come by. Yeah. Um, and bands that, I think they were from Burlington. So bands were always, like, trying to get into St. Catharines, Burlington, Hamilton. Like, you know, the the QEW 401 circuit. Yeah. Like, those were shows that you, you mainly wanted to do them. Mm -hmm. And um, I confirmed them, and then I booked Dead Only Better, a support, another band called Policies and Procedures, A Day and a Death Wish. Wow. 
and another band called the Young Guns, which was like a bunch of scene dudes that um, you know had made like a band. They didn't last long, but they had like some hype at the time. Cool. And the show did like four hundred people. Really? And it was in Red Square. It, it slammed out the venue. Yeah. It slammed out the venue, and like. I remember the venue dude tried to charge me more after, and we, like, got into it. And I'm, like, a 16-year-old kid. Right. And after everything, I ended up paying the bands more than their guarantees. So they were really excited. And I still made money. And I was working a part-time job there. At that time, it was paying me, you know, shit all. Right. So I was like, this is really, this is really cool. And then, um, so, and we'll go back to me being in bands, too. But that was the first show that ever happened. And then the second show, I booked... Um, Sleeper Set Sail. They went to my high school. Nice. And so I remember I was friends with Casey, and like we looked up to him a lot. He was a year he was a year older than me and my friend group, and we just thought this guy's so cool. He's so talented. Like, man, like I love Sleeper Set Sail. Like, how could you not like Casey? Of course. And I I still like, I still love those records. And and later went on to manage them a little bit and book them a little bit. Nice. um, Kind of on in the the tail end of it, but um, I I offered them a two hundred dollar guarantee which was like a lot of money yeah. for a local band. Absolutely. And that show did really well too. It didn't sell out, but it was it was very like successful. Yeah. Um, so after I did those two shows, I was just like labeled a promoter at that point. I didn't really have a again, a long-term plan or, or any infrastructure or even any know-how. Sure. Um, but that's how that happened. So going back to the being in a band, after that band broke up, um I started another band with you know some of the same members, but some other dudes floated in now. We were called Faith of Fifty Million. Um, I forget what book we like pulled you know a page out and just like pointed to some cool words. And nice. Just, like, I for- I honestly forget, but we had a that band had a website which was like more than my peer. I think the other band had like a friend page site or something. Okay. Like, one of those like really like really janky GeoCities. Yeah. Type yeah. Sites. <laughs> but um, Faith Fifty Million, we played. Our high school thing, it was this event called Starvathon, which I feel like it's a really name, a poor taste name in hindsight. Yeah. But it was to raise money for, um, you know, um, starving children. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere not in Canada. I can't even remember where. But we played in front of like 700 people at our high school in the auditorium. And we, I think we did one or two originals, but I remember we covered What It Is to Burn by Finch. Um, cool. Which was like one of our inspirations at the time. And, uh, had like a wireless bass rig and like went into the crowd and it was it was a really fun it was a fun day it's probably my favorite memory of high school which I didn't love high school like music was more my community than right. you know, high school itself um, and then kind of after that band kind of broke up I took a break from being in bands um, I jammed around with friends but like nothing that got to the gigging stage and then later on I was friends with um another kid in the music scene, Jordan Manier. Yep. Um, and I think he was telling me about this band that he was joining with a bunch of talented local musicians. And I kind of, they all came from other bands. Like yep. they all had some experiences and that ended up becoming from Ghost. And I actually think before we even, um, before we even jammed together, I feel like they were already writing a record and I kind of came in during this Berlin Stories EP thing and I helped write some stuff and track some vocals and I kind of would work with Jordan and, and Pat on like top lines and melodies and stuff like that and it was really fun and that band in St. Catharines um, you know we had a really good start like we did because I was a promoter in the city at that point and I had that part of the my like my brain was really active 
we came out kind of splashy. We did two CD release shows. We did one at L3 and one at Red Square. And <laughs> I stacked the bill with like bands that probably shouldn't have been supporting us. Sure? Yeah, it was like Sugar's Align. <laughs> Casey Baker did a solo set, and you know all these kind of these all these really cool bands that you know were just like down. And the, I think the first show at L3 did like 400 people came out. Nice. And the next one did a couple hundred, and there was like some. The, the, the Red Square show was 19 plus I remember and mm-hmm. there was like girls that came before the show that were underage and they couldn't get to the show but they just wanted to buy CDs and get them autographed and I was like this is weird <laughs> like like we like we're nobody right but we postered the city and we worked really hard and then we got to tour and stuff too so there was like tours with Holly Springs Disaster and Dead Divine and Straight Reads the Line and this band from Halifax called Letter Unfolds and those were really um, those were really fun memories like really um Every time we tour, we'd lose a band member and swap someone out. <laughs> but they were they were really fun times, and you know we had like no money, and there was barely any guarantees, and the merch money became the gas money, and you know it, we would just rely on the kindness of strangers in different cities to let us sleep on their couches, yeah. and um, you know maybe the maybe the high point of that outside of the CD release was like some of the shows on the East Coast with Den Divine and, and playing with them in Burlington and, and getting to play in these early shows with Holly Springs Disaster and we did one year we played Warp Tour through the Ernie Ball kind of Battle of Bands thing oh cool um, and after that happened that was like Warp, playing Warp Tour was a bucket list thing of mine yeah ever since I went there absolutely like, I went from when I was 15 to like I don't know what was the last year that Warped Tour happened. Was this like four years ago? Maybe? Something like that, yeah. Like, like I went from being like one of the youngest kids at Warped Tour to like one of the oldest people at Warped Tour. <laughs> so, so, the, but the first time I went to Warped Tour, I remember seeing my my homies like, "Yo, like if we can ever play this, like that's it, like yeah. that's that's the dream." And so, after we played Warped Tour, I um, I was like, okay, like I, this band's imploding. It wasn't really working. I think I ended up leaving that band. I had offered to actually join a couple other bands that were really good bands that were friends of mine. And yeah, I won't mention their names because they ended up keeping the bass players. <laughs> so sure. it wasn't didn't work out. Right. But I remember kind of having to weigh that out because my promoter's like promoter job was starting to kind of pick up traction. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of decide do I want to be a musician and an, an artist or do I want to be someone who works on the industry side? Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that not that it's impossible to do both, but it's hard for people to wrap that around, you know, their head because there's a lot of like us versus them mentality in those roles, like mm-hmm. artist versus suits or you know label versus band, that kind of mentality. And so I was like, you know what, I don't want people to think that, um, you know, I'm gonna give my band preference if I'm playing in a band or right. I'm gonna favor them, and I also don't want them to think that like um, I'm gonna also maybe mess with their creativity or, or get involved or overstep and I just kind of started to take a step back from that I still have gear I still mess oh, yeah? around here and there yeah yeah like just you know I, I think that it's fun you know it started off as a passion it's remained a passion but I, I did give up the hope of like being a professional musician and, uh, and I think actually maybe I remember one of the moments was Fernando Ghost was on tour with um, Dead and Divine and Kellen in the band, um, great dude, he's a talented bass player. Um, he was like, "Yo, you guys really remind me of this band called As Cities Burn." Yeah. And I was like, "I'd never heard of them. Like, let's play some stuff." And he plays me, and I'm like, "It's like, yo, this, this band is a lot like us." 
but like they're way fucking better. <laughs> and I kind of realized I was like, we're not gonna be able to beat them at this. And right. they're like, they're so far ahead. And it was it was one of those sobering moments where I realized, okay, like let me, I'm better at this other thing. Let right. Me, let me go put my eggs in this basket instead. And um, yeah, so that was kind of like the band part of my history. And yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, something like Scene Fest could happen again nowadays? <laughs> it's kind of a loaded question. Um, <laughs> it's weird. Um, so I started as like a kid going to Scene Fest. Right. right? Like just going with my homies. Let's go watch City and Color play in this spot that used to be like a mattress store. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Um, you know, let's let's just spend the whole day checking out all this music and, and really looking up to everyone involved and really admiring kind of what it had built for St. Catharines. And then I ended up volunteering as a stage manager and then coming on board as a booker as well. Mm-hmm. And like booked some really cool stuff that I was really excited about, like lights for like a hundred dollars and you know crazy just like just really (laughs) yeah like really random stuff kind of on the way up because people wanted the opportunity like a a Del the Funky Homo Sapien or whatever like just just stuff like that and um you know Cues what we aim for down with Webster like these interesting artists that were kind of having moments and would create these really great shows in the downtown music scene and kind of be this like almost like this um really interesting kind of hub for everything that was happening in Niagara at the time and it would kind of like stir the pot so that the music scene wasn't getting stale like right. every year it was like just like all right new stuff is moving there's stuff flowing again people are excited and um when I left and went to Toronto um I, I still kind of stayed you know a little bit involved right but it started to dwindle it started to like um it was harder. Joel Carrier was no longer involved. He, he was super, super busy with, mm-hmm. you know, City and Color and Alexis. And the past organizers, Jen and Steve, just didn't have the same infrastructure um, or big sponsors or any sort of corporate funding. Like, it was as DIY as a festival can get. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that, that this wasn't some, like, you know, um, like, let's let the promoters are lining their pockets on this. Right, thing. right. There was a few years where SceneFest had a couple of sponsors like Solo Mobile mm-hmm. and Alexis had really taken off and kind of everything hit at the right time. But then for the most part, they were really grinding it out. Yep. And so when I had these bigger, um, you know, resources with my, my promoter company, um, I approached Jen and Steve and I said like, I'd love to partner with you guys and come in and try to revamp SceneFest and like really make it, um, you know, what it deserves to be in this new era. And I think the last year was maybe 2014 2014 um so we brought some Montebello Park yeah and kind of did a main stage there and a VIP pavilion and a side stage and we had live radio broadcasting and brought radio partners and we booked I didn't get all the bands I wanted to um but we booked a pretty good lineup it was like if you look at it now it's Arkells it's Lights it's Sheepdogs it's Monster Truck Shad Shad Glorious Sons Matthew Good like crazy pretty pretty solid lineup tried to keep the tickets as competitive as possible um and you know also tried to make sure that it was still like local and ontario based yeah so like we had i think a lot of the the best talent kind of in in southern ontario and canada kind of spread out across different venues still downtown but we used montebello as the hub instead of 
Market Square. Market Square. Problem is Market Square that like I don't want to say too much, but it wasn't technically even really supposed to be that kind right. of venue. Right. There was logistical issues and permit issues to have a stage the size that we wanted even in that space. Right. So it wasn't initially that I like Montebello wasn't the initial plan. But it was like, okay, if this festival is going to actually grow, it can't stay in this space. Well, it makes sense. Go, it has to go into somewhere bigger. And I thought this, the, the setup of Montebello was incredible. Mm -hmm. There's a new festival coming called Born and Raised. That's right. Um, and not saying that that was like copy to that, like Joel, Joel grew up in St. Catharines. But I do remember sending him photos of when Monster Truck was on stage. And I'm, I'm backstage. You could just see how dope the festival looked and yeah. how great. There's trees. There's pavilions. There's washrooms like it was really um, a really cool space and mm -hmm. I, I don't think people even realize like the same architect that um, designed Times Square did, designed. did Montebello Park yeah so in terms of St. Catharines um, architecture landmarks like it's it's a special place so we did it and we worked really really hard brought in a bunch of different sponsors and it I thought it was successful but it, I think that it was somewhat divisive. I think that, um, I think some of the people from the kind of past generations didn't love all of the upgrades and, sure. you know, the, the kind of approach and generally speaking, like whether it was the artists that were being booked or whether it was, you know, the ticket price being a little bit more expensive or the fact that there even was a VIP lounge or right. whatever. And even though we brought out over the two days about 10,000 people, we still lost a lot of money. Oh, be really? With you. Yeah, yeah. And my company, like, not, I'll be real, real, real about this, wasn't my money, it was my boss's money. Okay. It was like a six-figure loss. So it was tough because it was, like, something that I thought went really well, and had we stuck that out, I think we could have turned it around after a few years because, you know, Coachella almost went bankrupt before it became Coachella. Like, if you're trying to um, grow brand recognition... Sometimes you take those L's, but the fact that people had a good time, had a good experience, whatever. And there was some artists that I was really close. I was really close on booking Sean Mendes that year. Mm -hmm. There was a few things that That's I think cool. if they hit at the right time, probably would have changed the festival by the, you know, because $100,000, like, when I when I say that, it's not just, like, $100,000 that we would make in ticket sales. We were, we were having beer tents and this and that, like, merchandise, all these other things. So if we had maybe a few more thousand people, we probably would have broken even. Okay. So it wasn't that unrealistic that we were, would be able to make money and make yeah. this thing profitable, but that first year it wasn't. And there was some stuff just kind of behind the scenes that I, I just didn't feel like went super well. And um, it kind of coincided with me feeling um, like I wanted to change, you know, in terms of, in terms of like, um, you know, moving out of concert promotion. Mm -hmm. it, it was, that wasn't the reason why, like, uh, but it was it, just the timing of it all. There was other things happening with the company I was working at and, and just kind of like, it, it felt like it was time for a change. So unfortunately, like we never got to run it back. We never got to right. go, all right, let's run. Like now that we've done this and we've set this precedent, let's run it back. And I also think that the, the old, the other people that were running it that own scene music festival, you know, from a, intellectual property side of things like the name of it they are not unfortunately equipped to do it at the scale that makes sense for them right so you know when you ask like could it ever come back it's possible sure um, it is but I think that it would it would create it would need somebody 
like uh, like what Joel Carey has done with this Born and Raised Festival with City and Color and mm-hmm. Lexus on Fire. It would need someone like him to go in and rally Live Nation and book Alexis on Fire and City in Color. But I think that in order to do that, you have to kind of also, um, you'd have to kind of cede some control and some input to the older part of Scene Music Festival. And there might be just too much baggage attached to it at this point. Sure. I, I don't know. Um, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm being, you know, candid in this sense. And I, again, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to like, you know, get people upset at me or whatever right. about this because um, I think that again it was a little bit divisive the way the festival went and people were like oh it's not enough local talent it's not enough this it's not enough that and um, it was that part was kind of like frustrating to me because I was like no there's like 70% of the lineup's Canadian 52% of it's from Ontario like 40% is from like the you know the Niagara region or whatever and I'd like pull these stats but you know how when people when there's a narrative um, you know people sometimes can maybe make their own facts up or, right. or, or find confirmation bias. You know? Sure. Um, so I think that Born and Raised is probably the new scene music festival for the time being. I but agree. Unfortunately, it's not all downtown encompassing. I don't know if that could ever come back because you also have to factor into like, there's so many people that have to buy in yeah. for that. Um, you know, I've been a South by Southwest in Austin for many years and like, it's similar in the sense of it takes over, you know, a downtown core, there's outdoor stages, but there's so much more funding and there's so such a big organization involved in it that economically it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But here you need, you know, if you do it on a Friday or Saturday, you need these bars to be like, yeah, sure, we'll not open up for our regular crowd and right. permit to this. And you also need, you need local artists to really be able to carry and champion it. And right now, maybe maybe you could correct me, but I don't think that there's... I haven't seen a band from St. Catharines that's been able to do what City and Color Alex on Fire has been able to do. Because yeah. that, that was quite extraordinary, and we were very, very lucky to have that and lucky to have their manager care about this music scene mm-hmm. to continue to foster it so that I could be in a position where I could even promote concerts and book it. Mm-hmm. And now there, I know there's shows and there's venues and there's people that are working really hard, but I don't feel like there's been bands that have transcended the scene in a way that even kind of comes close to that yep. that could kind of kick the door open like you know OVO Fest that Drake does in Toronto mm-hmm. is successful because Drake is so big that he can make it successful he can prioritize it he can put on the artists he wants Lex on Fire was a big part of that with Scene Music Festival it was alright Lex on Fire is playing well now we're going to get Cancer Bats and Monine yep. and these bands and now these bands are playing well their agents also rep down with Webster and Lights and these artists and so you could kind of on the back end you can quickly build around it if you have like an anchor artist that's involved sure if you don't have that it's a lot harder and yeah. and, and festivals are I mean they're they're money pits man like, yeah for real like yeah. you know for every six, for every Oshiega or, or um, you know uh, Coachella or Boots and Hearts or whatever there's like all of these like way homes and turfs and different festivals that didn't make it. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, that's my really long answer. Yeah. Saying. No, well, no, that, that's great. Happen, and I think yeah. I, I, I agree. Uh, I also don't think the venues are even, there's and many venues downtown anymore to even kind of support something like that. Um, at least ones that like even have a stage or a proper sound system. Right. It's true. Even, 
I mean, I would argue that even some of the venues in St. Catharines that are active don't have a proper stage or sound system. There you go. Yeah. You. And I didn't... Here's the thing, too. Like, It's funny, because when I was a promoter and I would do shows in St. Catharines, bands would come and complain about the systems or the riders sure. or whatever. Oh, there's no green room. There's no this. There's no that. <laughs> and I'd, you know, the kind of sentiment here was like, oh, come on. Like, you can make this work. This is a good venue. And the shows were special and they were great. But then when I moved to, to Toronto and started to work with venues like I mean you know before it was Rebel it was Sound Academy yep. or Cool House or Phoenix or Opera House and you started to see the differences in the juxtapositions and you realize okay yeah no, like we're not equipped and we were lucky that these bands would come in and they would kind of concede right um, and, and not every band like bands like Dead and Divine and Holy Spring Disaster they were like no this is fine like we're we're punk rock like, mm-hmm. we're, like we're cool but trying to bring in some of those like punching up, you yep. know, like bringing in these artists that were big or these U.S. touring artists, they would have to supplement the sound systems. Yeah. They would have to, we'd have to, you know, rent in all this extra equipment or they would not be able to use the stage and stage monitors and have to run everything through in-ears or there'd be just like, you know, all of these different challenges that we were kind of constantly dealing with. And, you know, again, I don't, I understand why um, the infrastructure wasn't the same here at the venues because it is in Toronto. It's not going to get you know, um, a venue here isn't going to get 300 shows a year. Right. So it, it's a, it's a, you know, a cost thing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if, if we spend this much money, then we're not going to make anything. So mm-hmm. I get it. But I also, I think that it's a, it's something that makes it hard for artists to want to come back to if they, if they have to make concessions, they mm-hmm. have to make concessions financially. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, they're not as comfortable. That doesn't sound as good. The, the shows aren't as well attended. A certain point they're just going to be like well i'll just i'll just play toronto it's not worth yeah it. it's not worth coming here and that sucks you know I yeah um and that part of me um you know kind of sometimes wishes that i had been able to stay and promote more at st Catharines and then help maybe um you know fight against that you know and then try to be proactive but again it's like you know we we have different eras of our lives and we and we, we grow and we move on and then you hope that someone else can step into that position and and thrive and I think there's been some cool stuff that's happened here for sure, mm-hmm. but I can't help but look back at some of the stuff that I experienced, not just as a promoter, but as a fan, and be like, man, those were the days. Like that right. was the golden era. Yeah, you know? for sure. Well, we could probably get into some band anecdotes though. So uh, yeah, tell me some of the fun stories you have from working with bands and and uh, over the years. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna. Uh, I, I like kind of made a couple of notes, so I might I might quickly look at. Yeah, that. go right ahead. But. This one wasn't like the funnest day, but this is one of the stories that like just always sticks out in my mind. So, um, you know, there was there was an era where you would book these like U.S. tour packages of, of metalcore bands, and none of them would be that big. Maybe there'd be like one band that like was kind of buzzing, and then every other band you'd have to like put in brackets like the record label they were signed to. Right? Do you remember that era? Yep. And it'd be like, yeah, like uh, Velocity Records or this records <laughs> or whatever next to it. And like, you know, you have to kind of have a description of the band. And I don't even remember what label they're on, if it was Rise Records or something. But there was a band called Recon. Yep. Do you remember this? And um, Dorian Gray uh, was an opener. It's funny. I, I stayed in a hotel last night in Niagara Falls with my wife, Alex. And uh, Alex from Dorian Gray was working at the hotel. No way. Showed up. That's funny. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it was like Recon, and he's like, I don't even remember the other band names. Yeah. But there was, I think, three other bands, 
Recon and then a local opener and I think the show had sold maybe 200 tickets in advance and it was going to be an awesome show and mm-hmm. it was Dorian Gray the local bands it was their CD release everyone's really excited and one of the things that we did at L3 to kind of prevent people from bands from sneaking in people which was just a thing that happened all the time mm-hmm. was saying if you're not in the bands or, or part of the crew you can't hang out in the venue until after the doors open just as a like you know, let's keep stragglers who are aren't really here to to pay or whatever out of the venue. Yeah, it's like a safety production. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was uh, it was mostly financial, but sure. <laughs> in this particular situation, it was a safety sure. production. So, um, so this guy on I think it was the singer recon. Um, you know, he had a girl with him, and he tries bringing her in the front with him, and uh, she's like, the, the security guard's like, "Hey, man, like she can't come in until doors open," and he's just like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, cool," and just like walks away. And um, then they go around back, and he's like bringing her in the back, and the security guard's like, "Hey, man, like I told you, like <laughs> she can't come in." And there's a couple. There's, I think there's one other band guy and the singer of the band Recon, and they they just start mouthing off to the security guard, like not saying nice things and not saying things that like just words that like I wouldn't even repeat on this right. like, on this podcast. I wouldn't even say it loud. And um, they kind of start, like, one of them starts, the singer starts pressing the security guard. And this security guard that worked at L3 at the time, he wasn't a super imposing dude, but he was, like, a, I think he was a black belt, and it was, like, killer boxer, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely a guy you didn't want to mess with. <laughs> and Recon Dude's getting in his face, and my security guard basically swings on him. Yeah. And no, I don't know if he knocked him out, but, like, knocked him down. Yeah. Like shook him up, and I'm. But mind you, I'm somewhere else when this is happening. I'm not watching this. Put out another fire. <laughs> sure, probably, or like, you know, in downstairs of the office, you know, prepping stuff for the show or whatever. And this is like these guys are all big on this tour too. It's just like all big, mean, tatted up like dudes. They, <laughs> yeah. they came in with an energy that was this tour had an energy that was a little hostile. Yeah, and. So I go, I remember going back kind of in the venue and I see the security guards like shaking his hand out like this. And I'm like, and I don't know if, if someone's not watching this, I'm just shaking my hand. Uh, <laughs> someone's listening to this, I'm not, you don't need to see it. Um, but I'm like, what's going on, dude? And he's like, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, dude. Like, this guy was, he stepped to me though, man. Like, and I didn't know what was gonna happen. I thought I was gonna get jumped. And I'm like, well, like, I'm like what, what the fuck happened, dude? Yeah. And he's like, I, I got punched the, the singer or I punched one of the guys. And then as he's telling me, I'm kind of hearing like rumblings around the venue, like just like, like stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, what's going on? Yeah. And then a bunch of the band members start like congregating and start to roll up. And we're near the entrance. Um, and I'm like, get behind the bar. Like, go, go behind here. Cause it was literally me and him in the, in the venue that were like kind of, I guess, on the venue side of things. Right. I didn't work for the venue, but obviously I worked them a lot, but it was like, you worked with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they kind of come up, they're like, hey, man, like, start pointing fingers and, like, getting really aggressive. Like, you just fall, hit this dude, like, like step outside. Like, we want to kick your ass. Right. Like, whatever. And, and he's, like, I, I'll, he's like, he's like, I'll step outside and I'll fight one of you guys one-on-one. And he's like, no, like, if you step outside, we're all stepping outside. And I'm, like, in the middle. Like, guys, like, <laughs> chill out. Like, everybody calm down. And they're just super aggressive. And so... Um, he called the security guard. I'm like, go downstairs, dude. Like, call Joe. Joe is the the venue owner. Mm-hmm. 
and Joe runs the St. Catharines Boxing Club. Yeah, he does. So he calls up, like, a bunch of, like, goons from the boxing club. <laughs> and they, like, roll up and, like, you know, these guys are, like, gangs in New York. Like, so there was, like, some young dudes that were, like, yeah, like, okay, this guy looks like a young athlete boxing. And then there were some other guys who were, like, that guy looks like the guy not to fuck with. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. dudes that probably, like, you know, like, had chains on them right, or something. Right, Like, weird stuff like that. And, he, again, they weren't coming to fight. They were coming to defuse the situation. Right. Like, they didn't, like, Joe's not like that. Like, everything was just about, like, But if anything happens. Yeah, protecting the club, protecting the event. And it sucked because we ended up sitting, like, myself, the owner, and I think, like, the headlining band, we, like, sat. Um, we, you know, we sat with them, and we are like, guys, like, is this going to be okay? And they weren't really happy. And basically, Joe was like, dude, we have to cancel the show. Yeah. He's like, because if we let these guys on stage, and there's 400 people in here, and they tell they tell these guys, like, fuck this security, whatever, he's like, it's going to be chaos. And the guy, the band was really, like, they were really mad. But I had been working with a friend on the Hamilton show the next day. So I was like, guys, like, if you blow this up, I'll have to cancel Hamilton, too. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they didn't want that to happen. So they ended up basically, you know, conceding on, on hey, we have to cancel this show. You know, they waited around for security dude to come outside. They tried throwing shit at him. He kind of got to his car. It was it was a really wow nightmare, awkward situation. And then the next show, the next night, like, really stiffed, too. And it was, like, I remember I was, like, scared they were going to jump me. So I, like, there was, like, one nice guy in the tour. <laughs> and I, like, put the I like put the settlement on, like, a on an envelope. I put the money in. I handed it to him, like, before they, like, went on stage. And, like, after, like, the door was closed, basically. And yeah. I, I um I went and got to my car and I'm like got the fuck out of that city. I was like, <laughs> um, so that that was one that was memorable but not super fun. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some others here. So, um, I mean, dude, booking Bring Me the Horizon on the Suicide Season album tour yeah. at L3. I think that was 2004, maybe. Yeah. Is that, is that yeah. right? Um, I don't know. Were you going to the shows at that I did, time? Yeah. Did yeah. you go to that show? Yeah. That show was insane. It was that, insane. Um, that was the fastest show that ever sold out. That I really? There. Yeah. That's and, cool. And it was like, um, we had, the thing is, is like in St. Catharines, shows didn't sell out very often. Right. You know, I had a City in Color show, um, which was another cool time. It was, the, it was the show where they filmed the Save Your Scissors music video. Oh, cool. Which was the debut music video. Um, so I booked that show. That show had sold out, which was really cool. I remember that show was like so full. And I was like trying to get to the front through the crowd some guy's like god like say excuse me like kind of getting mad at me because i'm trying to move through i'm like dude i'm i'm, I'm just i'm just the promoter i'm trying to get the fuck. He's like, yeah right you know, like, <laughs> like why would i lie about that yeah, but, yeah. um and, anyways uh and then the but that one the the bring guys one sold out like clean in advance like way in advance and um it was just a nuts show like mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember ollie like the first song started climbing the lighting truss yep in L3 and like moved into the middle of the venue and was hanging and it was actually so crazy that I had to stop watching at a certain point because <laughs> I was so nervous someone was going to get hurt right and it was just like one of those situations where I was like man I can't like if this like this is someone's going to really really get hurt during this set <laughs> like the craziest show at the venue maybe one of them um I got to get out of here and then I remember we also did um a Madball show. Yep. We'll there. come back in. Yeah, where during Madball's set, some, like, 
uh, do you remember the hardcore crew from Buffalo? What were they called? Uh, like, wrong crew? No. no. They were no it was, um, I can't remember what it yeah. was, but they were like some, ba- like it was one of those like crews you heard about. Okay. <laughs> and they came, these guys came from Buffalo to the show. So it was all these guys that like weren't really, you didn't see them at every show. Right. Or like Western New York they came from. And during Madball set, I think they were trying to, I don't know what was going on. I, I would always try to make sure security let people mosh and do their thing. Because most of the time that I saw security intervene in those situations, it would end up making it worse. Right. You know, it's more like, hey, just like, you know, let the kids play and someone might get hit or whatever. But like they know what there's like a there's a bit of a code happening. Yeah. For the most part. Every now and again, someone would come in and and be a shithead. Mm -hmm. And that would make things complicated for security. But like in this particular situation, it was. Um, these guys like these massive dudes that were just coming in and like dummying people so security tried to get them out these guys were so big they started beating up security Jesus so <laughs> they had to stop like the set yeah call the cops and literally escort these dudes out of the venue before restarting the show wild um, so that one was really crazy um, let me see I wrote a couple notes. let me see I have one more here yeah on the Bantidote side hmm well, a couple of things. I did did book Paramore's first ever Canadian show. Really? Hungary. Yeah, that's was, super cool. Um, I've got a, I've got a couple more rattle off quick, but that Paramore show they were opening up for Funeral for a Friend and Armor for Sleep. Nice. Um, and I was like, I don't know, seventeen. I was doing the show with Joel Carey at the time when I was working with Bedlam Society, and there was another band on that was supposed to be on the tour. I think they were called Emmanuel, who were really good, and they dropped off, and I was bummed. And they're like, Yeah, it's going to be this band Paramore instead. And I was like, Paramore, like, what's that about? And so checked out their music. This was like, um, you know, I think they had a song called Emergency and Pressure. So yeah. Pre-Misery Business. Like, Haley was still 16. Wow. And I remember messaging them on MySpace. And yeah. Being like, hey, guys, like, I'm the promoter for your show. Like, <laughs> is this your first time coming to Canada? Like, really excited. And they messaged me back. Like, yeah, really excited. Thanks. See you soon. And I, I screenshotted it. I still have that MySpace uh, message with Paramore, which I, I thought was pretty cool. That's because, super cool. Especially because of what, you know, they went on to do. And, um, you know, and then a date I remember, we booked really early, too. It was one of their first shows, if you recall. Yeah. Um, pre-homesick. Um, and another story, and, you know, again, I could go on for a long time if I opened it up to all the Toronto shows, but I'm going to stick kind of in the night. Niagara. Because I feel like that's primarily like what you're covering yep um there was a show so i'll just say it was swollen members okay Um, this was kind of in the twilight part of their career it was after um it was like after they had had like real real big success right and this they were touring i think they had an album out called like black magic or something yeah and i'll be real like i wasn't a big swollen members fan sure i didn't when i was a promoter i didn't really let my personal taste inform every decision. Right. It was more... How could... Yeah. Yeah, like, is there an opportunity to book this? Will someone care? Does it make sense financially? Like, sure, I'll try booking Swell members. Mm-hmm. They were on tour with Black Eyed Peas, and they had a couple of days off, and I think they had, like, a Toronto show supporting Black Eyed Peas, and then it was like, do you want to book a St. Catherine show around this? Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't super expensive, so I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And... Um, how it works when you promote a show or you book a show as like a buyer or a promoter is you know you get sent a contract and on the contract there's a, a what's called a rider right which mm-hmm. is just essentially like a list of demands yeah but 
the rider has to kind of be um, matched up with what the offer budget had in it. Meaning, when I put in an offer, I off I basically will cap certain expenses. So, um, catering, for example, mm -hmm. you might say we have two hundred dollars for catering, right? That's all I can spend for mm -hmm. this, and you agree to that, and you sign that. Like if your agent signs that off and says two hundred dollars for catering, fine. And then you get a rider, and the rider's got like fifteen hundred dollars worth of shit on it. It's right. Got, you know, it's got the most expensive Patron. Yeah. And, you know, like you know, fancy beer and and they want you know meals and buyouts and snacks, all these things. And I would always try to feed bands. Like I, I used to just like try to I try to make sure that that happened. Yeah. And make sure that they have alcohol, because you know certain bands like to drink. Mm -hmm. But most of the shows we were doing in St. Catharines, like we just weren't able to accommodate the full rider. So what you do is you take the rider cross off the things you can't do you fax it back at this time like this is how long ago it was faxing yes yeah. um, and you fax it back and you go this is what I can do like basically and if the agent has a problem with it they call you and go hey well can we switch this out or can we get a little more money here or whatever but usually they understand this is not a you know a Scotiabank or Air Canada Center show this isn't this isn't a, an arena tour this is a very small club and a secondary tertiary market it is what it is yeah you just you make you make do with it they came in and the tour manager's like you know where's this where's that you know this beer's not the right beer blah 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 and so we're like okay well like yeah like we can get you this different kind of beer and like you know we'll do our best to accommodate but like i can't do all this and i i already told your agent all this i already signed back the rider here's here it is here's the executed contract like <laughs> yeah. here's what we agreed to like you know in in legal terms here's our agreement and he's like yeah well it doesn't really matter because like my guys need this and i'm like i can't do it <laughs> like i don't i don't know what to tell you yeah like, and i'm like and the show's not selling well i'm gonna lose money already so you're asking me to like lose more money yeah and um so it was weird and then He's like, well, I don't know if they're going to play the show. And I was like, man, if you don't want to play the show, like, that's okay. Like, I, I can't, but I can't lose more on this. And I was like, if you guys cancel, so Il Scarlet was supporting. On cool. The show. I was like, and they were kind of on the come up. And Il Scarlet's like, yeah, we'll play. I'm like, cool, I'll lower the ticket price. I'll have Il Scarlet play. If you want refunds, we want refunds. If not, we'll make it a show. Yeah. And, you know, I just, like, I had already at that point been doing it long enough that I knew, like, you just got to roll with the punches. Yeah. And you kind of have to, like, stand firm where you can give where you can and you know keep moving so uh mad child from the band like what like walks in the venue and he he's like where's the promoter <laughs> and, like, and he's got a security guard with him like this really big dude and i'm like wearing fucking flip-flops dude like i'm not you know i'm not posing at all and i'm not a fighter and i'm not trying to be like that at all um and i'm not trying to yeah, I just like I, that's just not how I right. Run. Yeah, and so I'm like, I, I'm right here, man. Like, let's talk. Like, what's up? And he's like, it's like, like, like <laughs> just, I forget what he said exactly. He's like, like, uh, where's the, where's the flyer? And like, I'm like, it's over here. And he's like, looking at the flyer. And he's like, you promote this show? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. We just like, what'd you, how'd you promote it? And I'm like, oh, well, we did this, we did this. We actually had a rap battle, and the opener got like the winner of the rap battle got to open the show. Cool. Like it wasn't, we didn't phone it in. Like it was a, we promoted the show. I think we had sold maybe a hundred tickets. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, listen, he's like, you ain't gonna grind me. I ain't no Backstreet Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
no man I'm not trying to grind you dude like I'm literally just like this is what, what was in the contract this is all we can afford and and he's a he's a short dude yeah but like stocky right right and, and you know they there was rumors of oh these guys are hell's angels backed and right. this and that so I wanted like nothing to do with like <laughs> yeah. any sort of physical confrontation and thankfully Joe from the venue was kind of there watching like like kind of not like getting in the middle of it but I could tell he was kind of hey like what are these guys trying to do here? yeah and he used to box too so I was like okay at least Joe's here watching like please nothing happened <laughs> and um so he kind of like does the whole like you're not gonna grind me I'm not no backstreet boy and then he uh goes downstairs um uh to the men's washroom if you remember you know through three levels yeah go downstairs there's like pool tables washrooms aside goes into the washroom uh to, proceeds to take off the top of the toilet seat okay like or the toilet um the top of the toilet like whatever yeah. that thing is called yeah that, that, that you go into the basin and uh, put cocaine on it and do cocaine <laughs> <laughs> before before walking out of the venue back onto his bus sure and and then I was like man I hope this show doesn't happen like I just want to get the hell out of here yeah and then he's like yeah they're gonna play and then the producer manager goes yeah they're gonna play but they're staying on the bus until they uh till they're set and I'm like okay dude like whatever with the toilet seat he left the toilet seat down he left this like he just he took it off put it over the bowl yeah did it and then left and I was like, I don't know if that was like a power move or whatever. It was like, I was uncomfortable. So right. It was just like, dude, okay, yes, please get them back on the bus. <laughs> um, but the show ended up happening. It did lose money. Yeah. It was unfortunate. Um, however, I will say, because I don't want to, um, you know, like I think at the time I was up- upset about it, you know, because I felt like, man, like you guys have had all the success, you've done all this, like really why are you trying to grind me? If there's anyone you should be upset with, it should be your agent for even booking you the show. Right. Clearly this is a waste of time for you. Yeah. And and that's fair, but it's not my bad. Yeah. Like, and, and now I believe that Mad Child, like the dude from Soul Numbers, has like gotten sober and yeah. like been an advocate for recovery and cleaned up his life. And I think that was probably a pretty dark time for them. Sure. So I definitely, um, you know, I don't want to make light of like yeah. you know, that part of it. But at the time it was kind of like, asshole you know like like what the hell and yeah so um i think that those were some of my um my bantidotes from uh from yeah from that kind of era crazy sure. yeah when uh when i have guests on i typically ask them because they're, they're normally touring all the time what their go-to gas station snack is and i know that you're mm. vegan and you're, you advocate for veganism oh uh, is there anything you would grab in a pinch if you need yeah. some cliff bars yeah, yeah of course so Gas stations, um, they're tough. And I'm like, but it's weird because I, because I toured before and, and I've also like, you know, done a lot of road trips and, and whatnot. And um, I am the person that like every gas station, I, I kind of go through every aisle and I skim <laughs> it I'm like, maybe there's some sort of like, you know, some sort of awesome treat here that I'm just like sleeping on. Um, but I will say, yeah, it's more often than not a cliff bar sometimes they have the cliff builders bars right um you know every now and again you might get like a dried fruit thing or something yeah. you know like a sun ripe fruit bar or like you know some like you know dried mangoes or something like that um when i was with crystalline you know scotty's band they did have a uh, when i was managing them we had a tour in japan 
that was uh nice. was, and you went out to japan with them? yeah i went to japan with super them. cool and that was pretty cool because at the 7-elevens they had sushi um, really so you could get like inari like bean curd inari sushi um they had like onajiri that had like sea vegetables in it really um and thankfully we had a a guy with us um masa his name was who ran the label that they were we were working with at the time who also kind of tour managed and he would help me like hey don't get this one this is the one with like eel in it or okay like get this one and they also had soy milk and um I'd buy frozen mangoes too. So I'd buy frozen mango chunks, some like bean curd sushi, some onajiri, and like soy milk. And it was like, that's what I like lived off in Nice. Japan. And like Chris and I was like, we were, they were just like, let's go to McDonald's, let's go to the Burger King, you know? <laughs> and they just get all the like, the weird like versions of the, yep. uh, their American stuff. Though we did go to a vegan restaurant together in Nagoya, which was really uh, cool. Was really cool. Yeah. It was, that's like one of the cool parts about, I think about being vegan is that it kind of forces you a little bit when you're on the road to seek out options. That's right. Which then can kind of be interesting because before I was vegan, I just ate whatever, man. Like, yeah. I ate, like, you know, just whatever's the closest, easiest thing. Convenient. Yeah, let's just find something. And wasn't super mindful about what I put in my body. And um, then it became something I, I, I was like, oh, looking forward to traveling because I get to try this awesome vegan spot I've heard about in New York That's or cool. Los Angeles or Austin or wherever and uh, Winnipeg or Vancouver you know like and and now I feel like that's like one of my favorite parts it's just like discovering that stuff but the, and when it comes to the gas stations yeah it's probably it's probably Cliff Bars man I used to like energy drinks back in the day but I, I can't yeah I can't, really drink those can't do them anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely now when I have musicians on I typically go I go Say you're at the level of Metallica, what would be the rock star dream rider for them? Mm. Um, but someone who's worked with so many cool people, yeah. what is one of the wildest things you've seen on a rider that you can talk mm. about? That's a good question. Um, man, what have I seen on a rider that's really interesting? So, like, we did a lot of, in, like, when I was working with Union Events, we did a lot of hip hop shows. Yep. Um, I think it was Currency. So like currencies like done a lot of stuff with Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, I think he did a show at Opera House, and he he had on his on his rider he had to have a new pair of white Air Force ones because <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't wear the same pair twice. Sure, and he needed like the Air Force ones. Yeah, you're it. at that level, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I remember we did some shows. Um, there was a tour. It was like um, it's a Rise Against tour. I, I can't remember who was supporting the state, but we our our company did a show in London. And I was stoked because just backstage it was vegan catering because they're all, all vegan. So they had like vegan chicken and all this stuff. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, I th I'm trying to think. Like, I think the like the clothes and, and, and stuff like that was always. Oh, well, this isn't really this isn't a particular to necessarily um, a concert rider. But this artist I work with, YSP Trill, um, you know, he has a song called touchdown and it has uh, another a rapper on it named bankroll hayden and bankroll hayden's um a bit of a bigger artist than he is and you know the label's really excited to have him involved and um he had a he had a guest feature on the song so he raps in the record and he has a line um that's like sb's like ben and jerry um which is like referencing the ben and jerry sb dunks that yeah. are kind of like the ben and jerry colorways yeah and they were like a really popular sneaker that sold out and they resell on StockX for a lot. And then we were going to shoot a music video and 
And basically, he's like, yeah, I'll do the music video, but, like, I need y'all to get me those SB Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, the A&R's like, yo, like, does anyone got a plug? These shoes are, like, $1,300. Jesus. Um, and, you know, kind enough, this dude bought the shoes for him. And nice. Yeah, he rocked them in the video. That's cool. But I was like, man, couldn't you, like, wrap up bands? Like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, like, or get the shoes before you wrap up them, but it was cool. Like, it was it was, Just it was CGI kind of the shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be he, cheaper. Oh, my God, he gets so clowned. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, no, but, yeah, the rider stuff, man, it's just, like, you know, I one thing I just appreciate about like riders is like whenever there's a combination on, on the vegan side and there's healthier food, because mm-hmm. a lot of times the catering at, at these festivals or backstage, it's just like, it's not good and and not even necessarily like forget about vegan, but just like, like sustenance, you know? Yeah. I feel like bands, when you're on the road, you are eating at a gas station. Yeah. You are eating fast food. So just a, something that feels home cooked, something that feels like it was made with a little bit of love that's just not going to like give you sodium poisoning. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that alone is like a win to me. Um, and yeah, there's been some good festivals like Blues Fest has amazing catering backstage and they have like just amazing stuff. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to spend some time backstage at Coachella and it's just like a different level of selection. Right. Which I, I always appreciate. That's cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, I've only got one more question for you. Mm-hmm. I need your all-time five favorite artists of all time. If you can't give me five, give me three if you can. Okay. Yeah, I feel like you. I remember. So I I listened to the episode with Sleeper Set Sail, and I feel like they got like pretty stumped on this yeah, question. Yeah. Mike and Casey. Um. I'll say, and and um, you know, some people. This is called Bantadotes, right? Yeah. So some people might um not love this answer, but I'm gonna put Drake in one of them. Yeah. Hell yeah. Is it have to be in order or no? No order. No okay. particular order. Drake, The Killers. Nice. Killers are like just amazing live. Like they're like a it's like a religious experience. Wow. Live. Um, man, this is tough. Um, I'll probably put Casey Musgraves in there. Cool. Um, I might put Bring Me the Horizon in as well. They're a great band. Yeah. They're doing so much for their sound. Yeah. Bring Me the Horizon like. I think that they have, um, and I know there's controversy around that band. I think any, like some of those bands, I think they, they did some things in, in the past and were pretty, um, crazy that like, there's a bit of lore around it, right. especially Ollie and stuff. But I do think that the fact that they've been able to push that genre forward in a way that has pushed them outside of the box and been able to transcend it and stay relevant to new, new generations of fans. 100%. is just so important. Um, and, and really... I think um, underrated. Um, the fifth band, you know what? It's like I might have to go. I might have to go to like Rage Against the Machine. Cool. Probably. Yeah, I. I think that that music is completely timeless. But I could like, you know, if if I was you know gonna add a few more, I might go. I might throw Newfound Glory on there. Very good. I might throw Turnstile on there. Um. You know, there, there's definitely some stuff that would be like runner up, right? Um, J Cole. You know, there's there's so much good music, and yeah. the one thing, dude, like the one thing I'll say that, and I try to encourage friends of mine um, when I talk to them about music and music discovery is like, keep listening to new music. Like, don't don't get um, caught in the bubble of music that was exciting to you when you were in high school and think that everything else sucks, right? Because there's so much good music out there. 
it's ridiculous. It's hard to keep up with yeah. how much good stuff there is. And actually, sorry, I would add maybe I might bump out one of them. I might throw Snow Allegra, this amazing R&B artist, in the mix too because she's been like number one on my Spotify rap the last two years. <laughs> nice. So I feel like that might trump something. But yeah, I just feel like there's so much good new music out there. And um, But sometimes I think that this part of our lives when we like we're like 15 to 19 this like kind of coming of age era it's so important to us and it's so um the discovery is so like um like the synapses are firing right like yeah. you're discovering bands you're going to shows you're having these new experiences i forgot about deftones too i'd have like a top 50 bro <laughs> but but like people then you start to get comfortable and think okay this is what i like and you start to you stop kind of acquiring new taste yeah but what i realized because i i felt like there was new artists that were coming out and they were really popular. And I'm like, well, and I listened to it, like, let's say the first time I heard Lil Uzi Vert or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what is this? Like, I don't know if I like this. And then, but I'm like, it's so popular. I, I have to give it another chance. Yeah. And I listen to it more and more and then I start to acquire the taste and I start to understand the sonics and why, why it's good. And then I really end up liking it. And then, you know, the same things happen with like the hyper pop genre recently where it's, there's, there's all these new artists like Glaive and Eric DOA and Hunter Gex and these these artists that are really kind of doing something that's really it almost reminds me of like the MySpace movement back in the day. Yeah. That is kind of on this fringe, but it feels like it's about to tip over into mainstream. So I try to I try to really almost force myself to listen to new music every single week so that I can make sure that my ears are staying sharp to like what's happening in, mm -hmm. in the music culture in general because I don't want to miss something just because I'm caught listening to they're only chasing safety by yeah. like, <laughs> a million times which i'll still do yeah of course but i also like i love being able to hear like like or like listening to deftones and then i listen to this new artist this kid like rory 404 and i'm like this kid has to love deftones because yeah. i can hear it in his guitar tones or i can hear it in this reference here or or the new bring of the horizon man they must have been listening to they're only chasing safety because like some of these hooks feel like this yeah this. and i think that music is cyclical so like Kind of staying, keeping your ear to the ground, but while also still honoring some of the stuff that you kind of first fell in love with is really important. Yeah, and, um, I, yeah, my list, my list can get really lengthy. <laughs> yeah, it's important to know the distinction of why you're listening to either of those bands, right? I think so. Yeah, and I like, I mean, you know, I, I think you and I like we're sitting here because we're not average music listeners. Right, like we're we're definitely in the, you know, the whatever percent, like a fringe percentage that yeah. really dives in on a lot deeper level um but i do think that um yeah it's just it's it's important to like um find new art and support new artists yeah and, and give you know give things a chance and not write them off because of like what box it's in or who what type of person listens to it yeah. or whatever and i i was guilty of that when i was younger mm -hmm. i'd be like oh mainstream hip-hop like fuck that like or oh this is on the radio it can't be good and it's like well, hold up, like, all of it's bad? Like, I don't yeah, think yeah. so. Like, yeah. there's, there's definitely, like, if you, and, and sometimes people will be like, oh, there's not, no one's making good music anymore. I'm like, you're not listening to what I'm That's listening just to. That's just it. You know, like, there's there's an, uh, a surplus of good music. Yep. It's just a matter of, you know, figuring out what you like, trying new things, having having discovery sources, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's SoundCloud or Spotify or TikTok or a friend of yours or a blog you check out or a podcast or whatever, like, listen to new shit like keep discovering it but also go go support those old bands when they go do their reunion tour too yep. and it's funny I was like I listened to that episode with with you and Casey and Mike and when they're like you're like would they ever would you guys ever do a reunion and I'm like what is that 
please. Yeah, please. please. And they're like, no. And they're like, no. <laughs> Rats. Dude, Mike DeSilva could learn that stuff again. He's come on, so we can, come on, Mike. We know you're yeah, watching. Yeah. We can make if, this if happen. If you are, if you guys are watching, man, like just do it. Like just <laughs> figure it out. It'll be worth it. You'll love it. You'll it'll be like the best night of your life. There you go. You know, like just just do it. And you got two people here that are gonna buy tickets. Yeah, for sure. Them, so. <laughs> right on. Well, I think we can end it there. So if you want to plug all the social medias, or if you have anything else that you want to shout outs to, I know your wife has a like a vegan <laughs> yeah, bakery that if you want to cool. plug right now or. Yeah, um, I'd I'd like to plug her stuff for sure. She's awesome. Um, it's a it's a bakery called Sweetheart Kitchen. It's in uh, Kensington Market in Toronto, um, kind of near Toronto Western Hospital. Um, it's uh, spelled H A R T though, so Sweet H A R T Kitchen. Yep. Um, you know they just celebrated their five fifth year in business. It's all vegan. It's gluten free. Um, they have keto friendly treats, so people that are diabetic or insulin resistant can go and kind of enjoy things that are still going to hit that sweet tooth. Um, refined sugar free as well and organic so it's it's very much like you know um, sustainably driven and kind of um, health conscious while still being tasty and delicious yeah um, so i would say definitely check out that um if you're in toronto if you're interested in those things on my stuff man you know what i mean like i i don't really like have a ton of stuff to plug um yeah. you know our i think partners record label.co is going to probably drop next month um but i think that like we don't even as we launch our label it's it's really i don't want it to be about us i want it to be about um platforming the artists love that so um elko one of our artists has a new project coming out called digital dysmorphia with a new single coming out next month that if you if you're interested in kind of like to me something that feels alternative but also cutting edge i would say check out elko elko um, you know, if you're interested in something pop, I would say check out Rev. If you're interested in um, something kind of R&B inspired, check out Anders. But um, my like handles and stuff are still Pat underscore Murphy. So um, if anybody from the music scene is that like wants to reconnect or say what's up, like Pat underscore Murphy, hit me up. And, Perfect. Um, yeah, we'll we can chop it up and get nostalgic. And yeah, I don't know. I I want to hear new shit too. So like I, I'm always like always down to discover new stuff so i would suggest if anybody's listening to this that that gives a shit about what i think or wants me to hear their music like please plug it you know like just don't be afraid to send me a link or whatever and if you want my opinion or feedback or just you know you want those extra streams yeah (laughs) like (laughs) hit me up i'm listening i I love i love discovering new music and I, i really um even though i don't get to spend as much time in st Catharines as i used to niagara like this is my home this is like i have family here i i would love to see this music scene continue to thrive i would love to see bands from this area make it if there's ways that i can be supportive in that like I, i'm down to you know have those conversations and you know we still do our a lot of our merch through press time and i know you got yeah. a boy shirt on yeah you know there's still a lot of great people doing stuff like i know eric dixon has been working really hard with the warehouse scene you know i really I'd love to shout out L3 because of all the support that they gave me. And yeah. Shout out Scene Music Festival, Joel Carrier. Like, it's, um, you know, I've had some success, but it's really been because of the people that have come before me and helped give me those opportunities. So, like, I I would, you know, be more than happy to repay that to, you know, the people that are, um, you know, pure at heart and have that kind of same energy and want to kind of um, put in the work or, you know, have that same kind of passion. So, I think that is my plug there perfect (laughs) awesome cool we'll end it there folks